A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Dan Abrams is a media entrepreneur. He's a TV host. He's a legal commentator. He's on TV every 20 minutes. And he's author of a new book. And he's also chief legal analyst of ABC News. So he should have something interesting to tell me. My friend, Dan. So, Dan. I, I mean, you're, you're on everything. What do you want? You're in more places. You, you go to more places than Kathy Hochul. What, what are you doing now? You're everywhere. I, I am doing a lot of different things right now. I am with ABC as the chief legal correspondent. I host a show on News Nation weeknights at 9 p.m. I host shows for A&E Network, uh, one of which is called Court Cam. I host a daily serious radio show on the POTUS channel at 2 o'clock. But the biggest thing I do are the businesses uh, that I own. I own a media company. Uh, we own a, a network called Law and Crime Network. I own a website called Mediaite.com. And oh. uh, it goes on. So okay, okay, okay. Where and when did, when did you go to school? Where, where? Where did you go to school? I went to school. Man, I went to school in Manhattan, a private school in the city. And then I went to Duke and to Columbia Law School. Why did you become a lawyer? I know why, but tell us. Well, you know, I think it's one of these things where I didn't really necessarily want to be a lawyer. I, I thought I did, kind of. I didn't really know, but I knew that my dad, Floyd Abrams, um, was a lawyer, and he really liked what he did. And I think when you see a parent who's doing something that they enjoy, you gravitate towards it. My sister is also a lawyer. She's a federal judge now. So, you know, I think that I think it would just sort of ran in the family. Well, Floyd Abrams was a very famous lawyer, your father. I mean, just the best. And of course, I did know him. So uh, the, the question I don't quite understand, if you're a crook and you have a smart ass lawyer, you can get off. What is that? Is the is the law so flexible or are you guys so smart? <laughs> You know, it's not that easy, I got to tell you. I mean, most crooks get convicted. Most people who are tried get convicted. Um, so, yes, there are occasions when crooks with a lot of money, particularly um, in the, you know, sort of white collar space, can, you know, avoid justice in one way or another. But, you know, there are also a lot of people, you know, you look at uh, Dennis Kozlowski, you look at the Enron folks, even Martha Stewart. I mean, you know, they, these are people with a lot of money who went to trial, et cetera, and, and got convicted. So, yes, it's true that having a very good lawyer helps a lot, but it doesn't necessarily get you off. I don't think you answered my question at all, but I'm very happy and I love you. I don't care what. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know you now have a book. You always have a book out. Tell us about the book. What is it about? The new book is called Alabama v. King, Martin Luther King Jr. and the criminal trial that sparked the civil rights movement. And it's about a forgotten case from 1956 where Martin Luther King was tried. We, we uncovered the transcript of King's own testimony in the case. Basically, it came in the wake of the Montgomery bus boycott. So Rosa Parks is arrested. Forty thousand black residents of Montgomery decide to boycott the buses. When they can't get them back on the buses, they decide, well, let's try and use the law to force people to get back. So they prosecute King and 88 other people 
for violating some arcane boycott statute. And the national, as a result of that case, that case is the reason he was in the national stage. It was the first time he was in the New York Times, the first time he was mentioned uh, beyond sort of his local world in Montgomery. You're talking about Martha, you mean King? That's the first time he was ever mentioned everywhere? Ever. First time okay. Martin Luther King, he was, he was 27 years old at the time. He was a local minister. He wasn't even a civil, he wasn't even a civil rights activist. He just happened that they picked him. My co-author, 91-year-old Fred Gray, was one of the two people who picked Martin Luther King to be the spokesperson for this Montgomery bus boycott. And that is what put him on the map. But in particular, it was this trial this forgotten trial that we write about in this book, Alabama v. King, that did it. You know, you don't know. My husband, my late husband, the comedian Joey Adams, who was president of all the actors, he led the parade when we all marched on that city. And I was a young kid there. I was in that parade, I uh, in that march. I know all about it. But the, this book is all about some other people as well. Didn't you do something on Lincoln as well? I did. I so the first book, this is the fifth book in a series that my uh, regular co-author David Fisher and I have done. And the first book was about what's called Lincoln's Last Trial. And it was about a criminal case where Abraham Lincoln, as a lawyer, nine months before he got the Republican nomination, represented a, a murder defendant. And he had the transcript. And that was the amazing part of this story is that there was this transcript out there that was only uncovered in someone's garage. The great-grandson of the defendant with a yellow bow around it only discovered in 1989. And there it is, a trial, the only transcript that exists of Abraham Lincoln as a lawyer. My co-author said to me at the time, we knew each other socially, he said, you know, I, I found this transcript. He said, no one seems to have written about it. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. There's some transcript out there of an Abraham Lincoln trial that no one's writing about. But he was right. But how did you know it was legit? I had to dig. I had to dig a little bit when he told me about it. And then I found a New York Times article from 1989. It was uncovered. A transcript, the only one that exists of an Abraham Lincoln trial. But it wasn't just that there was a transcript. It was that the trial was super interesting. It was a really close murder trial. And that's part of what made it so exciting to work on that book with uh, with David. You mean that's when he was a lawyer? Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes when he was how a lawyer. People, how were people of color handled then? Well, you know, it, it was, I mean, terribly, right? I mean, this is 1859 still. He was not representing a, a black defendant. He was representing a white defendant. Um, he was he was a, a white defendant accused of killing another white man. Um and um, and it was a fairly typical criminal murder case. And the defense was self-defense. And Abraham Lincoln pulled it off. How did you get all this stuff? <laughs> How? You know, so so the on the Lincoln case, David Fisher came to me and he said, you know, convinced me that this story was out there. I couldn't believe it. But since then, we have just been looking for kind of untapped story. And I have to tell you, finding this, this Martin Luther King transcript was such a find um, for us 
Because, again, it's sort of amazing when you think about the fact that how is it that there is a trial from the early days of Martin Luther King where he testifies? We have all of his own words from the trial that somehow became forgotten to history when this was the case that put him on the map. It's sort of unbelievable. And I, I guess that's what makes some of these projects so exciting. Okay. Have you ever been wrong about anything? Me? Yes, you. What? what are you talking about? No. I so don't say, know. I don't know, but you're such a smart ass. Have you ever made a wrong decision? I'll tell you the, the case that I got wrong. I mean, you know, I do legal analysis all the time. I like to be careful. Um, I like to focus on what the lawyers are arguing, et cetera, et cetera. The case that I got just wrong was the Casey Anthony trial. That 10 years ago, mother accused of killing her, her little, yeah, um, yeah, her little yeah, um, yeah, daughter. I know, yeah. and Florida, I wasn't thought, that Florida? Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. I thought she was going to be convicted, um, and she wasn't. And, you know, unlike, for example, when the world thought that in the O.J. Simpson case, you know, everyone was there were a lot of people who were sort of shocked by the verdict. Those of us who were there weren't surprised. Uh, you know, you covered the O.J. trial. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. it, we were we were not that surprised that O.J. was acquitted based on everything that had happened. But in the Casey Anthony case, I really thought she'd be she'd be convicted. And um, I just got that one totally wrong. Oh, poor baby. OK, tell me now about the Johnny Depp trial with Amber Heard. What do you think? I think that it has been a complete and total um, sort of embarrassment for both of them. But for Johnny Depp, this is his effort to get back. I mean, you know, as you know, he, he was he's out in Hollywood. He's been down and out. He's having a hard time, you know, getting any job. And this trial, believe it or not, everyone says, why would Johnny Depp have brought this case? Why would he have done it, et cetera? This trial has led to Johnny Depp getting something like 50% more followers on social media. He's gotten this big following now of people who are all behind him, devoted to, to Johnny Depp. So, look, the case is a, it's a defamation case. It's a, it's a case over a Washington Post article and whether she defamed him in this article by accusing him of domestic abuse. So what do you think? Tell me what you think. I think they both, I think they both hit each other. That's what I think. (laughs) I think, I think that they both engaged in violence against the other. And I I think think that each, each time he talks about the violence, he always claims it was in self-defense. And every time she talks about the violence, she claims it was just in self-defense. And both of their stories don't hold up. Okay, one other thing I got to ask you before they throw me out. The Mrs. Palauzi, Mrs. Nancy Palauzi, is suing the Pope? I mean, how is that possible? She's not suing the Pope. Well, what is she doing? She is complaining about, about the fact that the San Francisco Archdiocese won't give her communion. Um, because oh, so, of her position I mean, really, on abortion. I mean, you're really going to take the Pope to court? She's not going to take the Pope to court. She's so what is she going to do? She's a, she's a pain in the ass. I don't care what she takes. She, so, she, she's <laughs> going she's gonna to complain about it, 
and she's going to challenge it. By the way, there's an interesting question about whether uh, this, uh, the, the San Francisco um, archdiocese actually has that authority to not grant communion to someone in this way. But, you know, that's, a, that's not a quite a, a legal question. That's not my expertise. That would be a religious um, hierarchy question. Oh, what do I care? You're on the air, so I have to ask you. I have now I had it. enough of you. You are everywhere. Every time I turn on something, you're there. I have had enough of you at this moment, Dan. Okay? Adams, I've always been a fan. I remain <laughs> such a big fan. I don't care if you want to get rid of me. Um, I, I, I still love you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Dan. Goodbye. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.